This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Now, my daughter, if you know her, she's a Ryan, like me, she likes her food, and she loves junk food. And so she wanted, as you can imagine, to eat as much as physically possible from this bounty of junk food at this birthday party, despite her mother's insistence that maybe it would be nicer to go and play with the other kids and not eat quite as much as she seemed intent on doing, right? But she wanted what she wanted, and she went and got it. In the afternoon, what do you think we heard? Oh, mummy, my... Tummy hurts, right? <laughs> Sometimes what we want when we get it is not really the thing that we want at all, all right? And so I want to say that by actually think it's really important for where we are in the history of the people of God. This is, Saul is their, is their first king, and it's really important. Um, about 10 chapters prior to this, not quite, nine if you're good at maths, um, the people of God who have been this sort of tribal group of people who have actually seen that Yahweh, that God is their king, have asked the prophet Samuel for a king like the other nations. Right? So they feel established in the promised land now. Um, they're seeing the nations around them. They know there are some border protection issues. And they, and they ask God effectively through the prophet that we want a king just like all the other nations. They want something that may not be the best for them. And so God, even though he should be feeling very offended and rejected by this, he's like, well, look, this is, this is how it's going to go. It's not going to be everything that you think it's cracked up to be. And the people are like, no, we want it anyway. And God graciously says, okay, fine, I will, I will allow you to have a human king. And in the chapters since, I think it's really important for us to understand that Saul is like this first taste, if you like, for them of what it's going to be like to have a human king over them as a nation. And when the king walks well with God, things go amazingly well. But he is just a man, and he gets it wrong, and he gets it wrong lots of times, and the people paid the cost for it. A bunch of Bible commentators uh, and kind of military experts like, expect that this conflict in chapter 17 is directly linked with Paul's failure in leadership and military tactics and spiritual leadership in chapter 14. In chapter 14, he gets it so wrong on a number of levels that this is almost like the retaliation. This is almost the response. This is what the Philistines do, given that he did those things or did not do those things in chapter 14. And what's even more significant in that is that God actually takes his favor off Saul as king. He rejects him as king, so much so that an evil spirit comes in, into that gap, I guess, if you like, to torment him, we read at the, at the end of the last chapter. And so there is something in here, I think, where it points to us and it's pointing to the people that the king cannot save them. They have all this hope, all this desire for a human king like all the other nations, and yet when it comes to the very thing a king is supposed to do to protect them and to give them the military victory, he's with them, cowering in fear, not knowing what to do in, in light of this battle. Their hope needs to be in Yahweh, their covenant God. Their hope is in God. He is their protector and their provider as he always has been. He, he is the one that they need to look to. And at the same time, we're, we're reading about David, who the previous chapter, um, we know that God has just anointed as the next king in Israel. 
So as much as he is an unlikely hero of this story, in the previous chapter, he is an unlikely choice for the position of king. He's the youngest of his brothers. He's not the one that looks uh, and sounds and, and walks like the next king of Israel. He's an unlikely choice, so much so that his dad doesn't even present him before the prophet as a potential for the position. And yet God anoints this young man to be the next king of Israel. And in that chapter, we don't read anything, or in that interaction, we don't read anything that David says or anything that David does. And so it's quite curious if you're reading through the story up to this point and you don't know who David is or who he's going to become to think, why this guy? What is it about this guy? Is he going to make a good king? Has God made the right choice in choosing him? And then straight away we see him here in chapter 17 and we go, ah, this is a man of faith. This is a man who trusts God. This is a man who is courageous, a man who is not afraid to act and to stand up to those that would come against the people of God. Kings and kingdoms. I think this story reminds us that God remains the true king of Israel, the one who they put their hope and their trust in. But it also reminds us of what God is doing in moving the kingship from Saul to David. David and Goliath on heroes, foreshadowing, and saviour archetypes. I've really got to stop doing that with my points, don't I? They sound very nerdy, but they're not. Does anybody love a good YouTube short? Yep, yep. I dare you to only watch one. <laughs> That's the trouble with them, isn't it? Um, but when you go home, uh, jump onto YouTube and Google, you are not David. Uh, and you will find a few links to a Matt Chandler, what I will call, holy rant. <laughs> uh, and Matt Chandler in this sermon, he's reminding us that the Bible is about God, uh, more so than it is about us. And he's reflecting that we have this propensity to always read ourselves into the heroes of the story. Right? So we read the, state, the story of David and Goliath and we immediately put ourselves in David's shoes, the good guy, the saviour, the leader. We put ourselves in the shoes of Moses and Abraham and Elijah. And, um, and he has a great point um, just by saying, like, think about what is actually happening. Who are the ones in need of saving? Well, that's us, right? So as much as the Israelites are powerless to do anything about their, their true enemy here and they need a saviour, well, they're in some small way that foreshadows, that speaks to the great truth that we need a saviour too. That we face our spiritual opposition, giants of sin and death and the enemy, and we are unable, we do not have the resources or the strength or the cleverness to go up against them in our own strength, in our own might. But we actually need a saviour. And so this story is what many people would call a, a foreshadowing of the one who is yet to come, the true saviour of the people of God, the one who comes from the lineage of David and will defeat the great enemies of the people of God once and for all, Jesus as he dies on the cross and is raised again to newness of life. And all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, where God promises that someone will come to crush the head of the serpent in the same way that David crushes the head, the forehead of Goliath, so too will the Son of Man, the one from the lineage of David, crush Satan under his feet once and for all time. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. 
And so for many sort of Messianic Jews, they'll read this story and it will remind them, thank you, God, that you are one who sends saviors to your people. Time and time again, judges, prophets, kings, and then a Messiah, Jesus, once and for all, the one who comes to save us. So does that mean we can't learn anything from David? Well, no, of course not. We don't put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus as we read through the Gospels, and yet we still glean from and learn wisdom from the ways that he lived and the ways that he interacted with the world around us. So what does David and Goliath have to teach us about personal courage, faith, and action? Well, I think quite a lot. And I won't speak about quite a lot, because that would take quite a lot of time. But I would love to speak about two things. And the first that I think that this story teaches us about courage, faith, and action is of the importance of knowing past testimonies about God's goodness in your life. So David stands before Saul and he says, I'll go, I'll do it, send me, I'll go into the battle. And Saul, of course, replies, as any of us would, he's like, what are you talking about? You're only a young man, and that guy, he has been a warrior. Man, he's been dealing in death since his youth. This is verse 34. But David said to Saul, Oh, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And this is what's important. The Lord who rescued me in the past from the paws of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So David has these testimonies that he's carried of being in impossible situations in the past, of being in the thick of it and being in the fray of it and feeling like God's hand was with him, that God's hand enabled him to do these things. And so he carries these memories he carries these stories, he carries these testimonies, these evidences, if you like, of God's goodness and presence and protection and enabling of his life. And that past experience enables him to confidently, with trust, say, and this is the God I serve. And so he will be with me in this next battle too. My first sermon ever here, I made this point. And our past testimonies of God's goodness Give us courage and faith for the future to see the hand of the Lord in the ways that we live. You know, I don't know if you've ever grown up um, hearing old people tell the same stories uh, over and over and over again. <laughs> Just a few nods and, and smiles. And I have to say, when I was a young guy and someone would tell a story about, you know, this past act of God's goodness in their life, I'd always be like, that's a great story. And then you'd hear it again and you'd be like, still a great story and then you hear it again and again and again and you'd roll your eyes and you'd think oh my goodness again I think we know this by now but I have to say as I've got older I've recognized the importance of that activity of actually speaking out of declaring of remembering those past activities of God in our life because every time we share them with someone every time we share them again <laughs> with the people around us we're reminding us and we're speaking to our soul, don't forget he's been with you. Don't forget his goodness. 
Don't forget the ways we saw God come through for us time and time again. And it builds in us courage and faith and trust and peace that in this, whatever this is, well, he'll be with us again as well. Remember the past testimonies of God. I think this is one of the great lessons we can learn from David. The only other one I'd love to pull out before we finish is to also remember the present presence of God. And so this is what David says to the Philistine. It gets a bit violent, by the way. (laughs) But he says to the Philistine, on the battlefield, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will, this gets a bit bloody, strike you down and cut off your head. Yep, yeah, yeah, nice kid. Uh, this very day, oh, we won't read that, it's even more R-rated. But he says, and then the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David carries these stories from his past of the ways that he's seen God's hand on his life. And he looks at Goliath square in the eyes and he says, this battle belongs to the Lord. You might have weapons, I might have the weapons that I have, but this is about what God is at work doing. And you cannot stand against what the Lord is going to do. And by this, all will know that it's he who saves I think this is such an important lesson that I've learned time and time and time again in my life. Uh, I continue to default to doing things in my own strength or in my own cleverness, um, getting worried or getting anxious about, uh, about things that are seemingly outside of my control or, or outside my ability to, to really see through. The story of David and David and Goliath reminds me to keep that spiritual perspective to understand where God is at work and to look for the ways that he is present in the midst of the things that I face. To position myself actually in alignment with what he is doing. To not sit behind the sidelines worrying about what will happen, but actually look for where God is moving and where he's at work so that I can position myself there to be used by him. And so I'd love just to pray for us um, as we get the band to jump up again um, and pray that you too can glean something from the story of David and Goliath. There are so many other stories and things in that little giant chapter, so I do encourage you to read it and pray through it during the week as well. But Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you. God, we want to thank you. Historically, we want to thank you for the person of David and the significant role he played in the life of your people for the victory and for the lives that were saved that day. God, we also want to thank you in the way that it points us and it helps us remember just how beautiful it is that we have a saviour that we can call on. Those impossible bits of our lives we're unable to save ourselves. Jesus, you came. Unlikely hero set us free to crush Satan and sin and death under your feet once and forever so we celebrate in humble dependence and thankful celebration for all that you have won and done Jesus 
And Holy Spirit, we also look to the person and the character of this man after your own heart. David, the shepherd boy, become king. Help us, I pray, know and remember and recall the stories of old, the ways that you have been with us, the ways that you have empowered us, protected us, provided for us, guided us, enabled us. God, you have been so good to me, and I know you've been so good to many in the life of our church. Help us to never forget but to always keep those stories on the tip of our tongue, the top of our hearts, that we might build courage and faith and trust for now. And for whatever it is that lays before each and every one in this room, Lord, I pray that they would look at it through the eyes of faith. They would see where you are at work. God, they would know your deep and wonderful presence with them. And the Lord, that by your spirit and in your kindness and by your grace, there might be a victory in Jesus' name. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. We love you. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.